Do you want your business to grow faster? Are you open to new and out-of-the-box ways to drive revenues and increase value? How do you imagine the most successful entrepreneurs and business leaders double, triple, or expand their businesses tenfold or more? The answer is deals. This is a weekly podcast featuring conversations with business owners, executives, and leaders as we reveal behind-the-scenes details that give you, our listeners, the confidence to pursue your own deal-driven growth. On the show, we discuss a huge variety of deals, everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My name is Corey Kupfer, and I've been supporting deal-driven growth for businesses for 35 years as a successful entrepreneur, professional negotiator, and attorney. My goal is to help you strategize, plan for, find, and complete deals that will help your company grow faster. Welcome to the Deal Quest Podcast. Let's get started. Hello, DealQuest community. This is a solo cast, and I want to talk about international deals. So we actually have, we've interviewed uh, folks, I mean, our main guests are generally from the U.S., which is where I am, but we've definitely had folks I've interviewed from Canada and Australia and the U.K. and various other places. Um, but also, there are many of our listeners and certainly many, uh, a number of my clients who do international deals. I've been involved in them over the 35 plus years of my career. And there are some very specific things uh, that uh, come up in terms of evaluating, doing, looking for, et cetera, international deals that are different than doing domestic deals. There's a lot that's in common, uh, but there's plenty that's different. And we're not going to be able to cover anywhere near all the nuances and differences. And, and, and you know, obviously, every international deal in every different country, uh, you know, region is, you know, is, is different in many ways. The laws are different. The culture is different. How certain things, you know, are done are different. But, you know, I'm going to try to talk on some high level um, things that cover various jurisdictions and things to think about, at least if you're considering doing deals uh, either as a U.S. company in the U.S., doing deals outside the U.S. But I will maybe touch on some things about companies uh, that are you know looking to do business in the U.S. as well the other way. So let's say you're a U.S. company. The first question is, you know, what kind of deals, why are you looking to do stuff internationally? And of course, you know, we've moved to such a global economy these days. And listen, I, you know, it's been interesting. I've been hearing uh, some things on uh, various of, uh, let's see, NPR radio stations. There have been some articles, things like that, about how um, the pandemic and also the supply chain issues, and certainly now the impacts of the, the war of Russia and Ukraine that's impacted you know, uh, certain goods, certainly, you know, a lot of grain and things like that. Some people are saying is the end of globalization. Uh, listen, I, I'm not here to make predictions about the future or get into, you know, those kind of issues, but I frankly think that's a ridiculous comment. Now we will change things. I think people are going to have more redundancies. They may go local on some stuff, but, you know, the macro trend is that we're an interconnected world. People are traveling a lot more. Business is done across borders. And there's no question that that will continue. And I think certainly in the long term expand. So certainly, listen, for some companies, there's just markets that are available for different goods and services that are you know, less mature than they are in the U.S., which mean that they have more opportunity potentially. Right. And there are definitely companies that make, you know, take huge advantage of that. Why don't a lot of companies do it? Well, listen, it's like anything else. We talk about the shift even from being a successful entrepreneur generally to the mindset of a deal maker in the first place. And then as an international deal maker, international business in general, obviously there are so many factors, so many unknowns that people are afraid of it. And listen, there are a lot of mistakes you can make, but people who figure it out, you know, uh, can do very well. So what are some of the things you want to watch out for? Well, local knowledge, okay? 
I, I, this is clear. Like I, I know some folks, I just had a conversation with somebody who was looking to invest um, in land in, in, in Panama and develop it. You know, the housing is U.S. guy has been living down there a little bit, though. Um, I know somebody who's done that in Costa Rica. And, you know, every single time, and those just happens to be real estate deals, but they could be any kind of deal. You, you know, uh, let's, say, let's say you want to sell your products in, into their need local distribution, you know, or uh, you're going to do some sort of uh, joint venture, you know, with a local company, which brings us to the point I'm trying to make here, which is that it is absolutely crucial that you have a trusted partner in most cases on the ground in the jurisdiction you are moving into. Now, obviously, it's totally different if you're talking about an online business where, you know, people just access you on the internet from all over the world and, you know, you're selling goods and services that way or you have online trainings and things like that. It's still good to get local knowledge to be able to customize your product and service and the marketing thereof, okay, to to the local uh, customers because there could be things that you just don't understand about how marketing, you know, works, how 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 pricing works, how even describing of the, you know, of the, of the goods works, certainly if you're translating into other languages. Um, so, you know, you want help on that. But if you're going to be in a business that has any physical presence on the ground, whether it's, you know, retail or manufacturing or even a service business where people need to be, you know, uh, located uh, in country, um, you're so much better off. It's, you know, it's not 100% required. People do it without it. But, you know, if you can find a trusted partner that could, you know, just uh, has connections that knows the culture that knows, uh, you know, the lay of the land, that knows local, you know, and has access to local professionals, local lawyers, local, you know, accountants. Things, business is done very differently in a lot of other countries, right? In some countries, you have the issue where you don't have to have good laws and good courts to enforce things like intellectual property right protections, right? You're going to want to know that. In other places, they're much more regulated than us, uh, right? As far as, I mean, there are a lot of places in Europe where, you know, generally in the U.S., unless you are a member of a labor union, you, you have employees that are members of labor unions, or uh, they've negotiated a, a contract with a guaranteed term, which is, you know, only usually high-level executives. For the most part, I mean, it, you know, people are what we call at-will employees. They can be fired for good cause, bad cause, no cause, with, of course, the exception of the anti-discrimination laws, you know, Title VII, all, all that kind of stuff, the, you know, the race, any protected class, right? Race, age, you know, uh, gender, um, orientation, uh, sex, uh, um, uh, veteran status, disability, things like that. Um, but outside of that, you know, in general and outside of labor unions and contracts, most employees in the U.S. are, you know, are at-will employees and you can terminate them um, pretty much for any reason. And you, there's no legal requirement to pay severance. You may have a policy that commits you to that. Um, but in, in many places in Europe, there are significant restrictions on and hoops you got to go through before you get rid of people. There's certainly, you know, lengthy severance mandated by law. Um, in many countries, uh, certain things like changes of ownership or certain financial things have to be filed with the government, which, you know, doesn't happen here in the U.S. unless you're a public company. Um, so you really have to know the local laws but also, you know, what are the customs? What are the knowledge? You know, what do you need to know? Uh, even, you know, in some places, well, if you don't have local folks, you, you, you know, <laughs> your business is at physical risk, you know, like uh, what kind of protection do you have there? You, you know, you can be respected. In other places, it's just that you just may have a disconnect and even being able to sell products and services, right? So, so even if you're just selling goods there, which is not the kind of deals we talk about, you don't want to know a lot local knowledge 
But a lot of that will trigger you maybe to do a deal because even if you're just talking about sales into a, into a country, maybe you have a local distributor arrangement. That's a deal. You have a local marketing company. You have a joint venture with an existing company in that, in that uh, location, in that geography, in that country, uh, because it can help you to get even those sales done. And then when you're talking about you know, doing deals, if you want to expand by acquisition or by joint venture, or maybe there's licensing opportunities for your product or service in different, in different countries, um, well, you have all of the things that we've talked about in various episodes of this podcast on, you know, the general due diligence and structuring of deals, and valuing things and finding the right, you know, uh, targets. And, um, but you also have to add that you're doing that in what might be an unfamiliar jurisdiction, maybe in a different, you know, with different language uh, and different laws and different customs. Um, so local partnership is most often the way to go. And trusted local partnership, that's the key thing, because people have, you know, there's many examples of being people partnering with local folks and then getting taken advantage of. So that's, that's, you know, that's one piece of it. Um, The other piece of it is certainly, you know, as we as we talked about the the laws, which I think we've covered more enough. I mean, they're different in every country. And then let's delve into more of the, you know, the cultural piece, right? Business is done very differently in different places, you know, you know, in, in, in some places, and listen, I, I think a lot of people in business have heard this at the high level of generalities where, you know, there are certain cultures where you get down to business very quickly. We tend to lean that way in the U.S., although I think building relationship has become more and more important. But, you know, in, cer- in certain cultures, uh, certainly a lot of the uh, Asian cultures, um, you know, you need to, you, you, and others, you need to spend time. You need to build relationship, you know, you, you go and, you know, you have dinner and you, you know, you may go for drinks, go for karaoke, go for whatever it is. Um, and, and, you know, no business is spoken, you know, on the, on, on the first meeting, you know, or two. Um, if you jump in and try to force a business conversation too early, it should, you know, it's seen as disrespectful. Um, I think I've told this story before, way back in the 80s, we did a deal, uh, I was working at another law firm in New York City, did a deal where a Japanese company was buying um, our client's uh, company, and we had a coastal consultant and, uh, uh, you know, and, and on the deal, and they, they got us very, very well. Uh, you know, there's, for example, when a Japanese person hands you the business card in the US, we might glance it and throw it out in our pocket, or, um, you know, you take it in some of the cultures, including uh, in uh, the Japanese culture, um, it's a calling card. It's much more formal. You know, you take it in both hands. You, you you look at it. You you read it. You acknowledge the person, and then you place it down. You know, nicely in in front of you on uh, on the table. Um, there are things like that that if you don't know, you can run yourself in, into trouble. And it's not just like a little miss. Sometimes, sometimes it's seen as a real insult or a sign of disrespect or, you know. Um, lack of taking them, them seriously or caring about their culture, that can, that can really blow a deal. Um, so it's super important to figure out the cultural, the pace of deals, um, the little things, you know, just the formalities of deals, right? And uh, that same deal um, that, I, that I was about to mention where things went wrong, we did fine on the business cards, but uh, we were not told at that time that we should have fancy pens for each of the signers because it's customary for them to sign uh, just that deal with it and keep the pen as a, as a memento. You just don't use any pen. You use a special pen that's, that's given as a gift to the signer. Well, you know, you need to, you need to know those things. If you're going to do deals in other countries to be able to honor, you know, their traditions, just out of respect, which you should do. And then certainly just practically uh, to, to get the deals done. 
so, you know, so that's important. Also, you know, doing due diligence on deals in foreign places is, is different. I mean, in some places, in some countries, like I said, there's more financial information that's disclosed, you know, governmentally and maybe, but that doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean it's publicly available, it just means it's available to the government. In some places, there's more that's publicly available. So you got to figure out, you know, wh- whether there is a different due diligence approach, uh, you know, to, to uh, in that country. And there may be a way you can do it. And then there may, you know, there may be other ways where it's, you know, doing lean and judgment searches and litigation and stuff in some places is not as not as uh, not as possible. Um, you know, and even uh, what is permitted uh, and how it's uh, I mean, we haven't even gotten to taxation. Right. And how the impact of foreign deals, you know, on taxation. And I'm not going to go anywhere near that because listen, U.S. taxes are complex enough. I've got great tax capability in my firm uh, where we have an affiliation with a phenomenal tax firm. Um, so, you know, I, I, I know enough to identify issues and, you know, obviously there are domestic things we have done over and over again that I fully understand. Uh, but we bring in the tax guys even on, the, on, on, on domestic deals. So certainly we bring it, we bring them in on like all the international deals, uh, you know, but every, every country is different and the, and the key is every combination of countries are different, right? Because of different tax treaties or lack thereof, or the way things are going to be treated, you know, in one place versus another place. So you definitely need to take that into account and get proper representation on the tax side uh, and the accounting side uh, when you do international deals. And, you know, it's even 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 more crucial. I mean, I think you need it in any kind of deal, but certainly more crucial on international deals. Let's take a break from the show for a minute so I can invite you to a new way to determine your deal readiness. I created a fast and easy assessment that will determine exactly how deal ready you are. Once you complete the assessment, I use your responses to identify the obstacles that are holding you back from being a deal-driven growth genius. It's as easy as heading to coreykupfer.com slash assessment. That's coreykupfer.com slash assessment and filling out a few multiple choice questions. I'll be checking in after the episode to see what your results are. Now back to the show. Let's talk a little bit about the other way around with companies coming into the U.S. We have represented a number of companies over the years who are setting up U.S. subsidiaries or want access to the U.S. market, uh, you know, or clients that are doing joint ventures or, or manufacturing and distribution deals with foreign, you know, uh, uh, companies. And a lot of foreign companies will set up, I mean, not always, but a lot of times uh, they will set up a U.S. subsidiary because it's often easier to for U.S. companies to do business with a U.S. subsidiary as opposed to you know, with, with the with the foreign entity, not always the case, but that's that's certainly the case some of the times. And we've done a lot, you know, for folks. You know, the other thing is that uh, when when you're doing business with them, you have to keep in mind. Oh, and by the way, the and this sort of relates to what I was about to say. Um, if they have a US, U.S. subsidiary, you have actually something at least in U.S. jurisdiction that you can go after if there's a problem. Now, of course, it depends on whether that subsidiary really has significant assets or whether the foreign entity is pulling out any value uh, to be overseas. But in concept, at least you have a U.S. entity that you can go after if there's any kind of dispute or litigation or breach of a non, uh, you know, solicitor or non-convention type clause. I've told the story before about, um, you know, about uh, my client many, many years ago is negotiating with the Russians right, right after uh, the Soviet Union fell, you know, and they didn't want to sign this non-circumvention agreement to, to go directly to all the manufacturers and distributors of goods that my client was the broker, the middleman on, because they were they were no longer under communist rule and they wanted to be capitalists and they wanted to do business with whoever they wanted to. 
So, you know, you run into those kind of things and there were ways we, you know, we, we deal with them. You know, that's an older example, but, you know, but certainly the approaches of foreign companies are sometimes, you know, very different. Certainly, you know, uh, deals slow sometimes because you need approval processes, you know, from overseas. You, you know, you have to allow more time for international tax analyses and ramifications on that way as well when foreign companies are investing in the U.S. You got to be careful about who owns ultimately these companies. Uh, certainly, you know, if they are indirectly owned by any uh, government that is on any kind of ban, you know, or, or list or, or embargo list or boycott list, you could actually run into criminal uh, trouble for uh, doing deals with uh, with foreign, uh, you know, uh, companies that are, you know, in certain in certain jurisdictions or even, you know, indirectly. So you got to watch that. You get, you know, there's, there's anti-money laundering laws and things like that and certain tax withholding uh, on foreign companies that you have to be familiar with. But listen, folks, like I said, you know, it's going to, globalization is going to continue, you know, with some changes, with some bumps, et cetera, no matter what you say. And, um, you know, when the folks who can figure out how to do deals, uh, you know, uh, across borders often, you know, can, can do, uh, you know, expand it to, into brand new markets for their products and services, you know, uh, expand the markets that may even be more receptive because of either the fact that they're less uh, saturated with goods and less mature and, and it's a growing it's a growing market. Or, you know, what's really interesting, what's happened in some countries is that they've sort of skipped steps, right? Like they were so far behind. A great example is, is some of these, you know, some of these countries that were developing countries and had much less infrastructure in terms of phone systems, you know, with wires above or below ground, any of that kind of stuff. And, you know, of course, when cellular technology came in, and this is true with, with, with some other technologies like that as well, they just jump right to that, right? Uh, you know, there may be opportunities uh, if you sell a product or service here that is not yet fully, uh, you know, um, you know or, or where that fundamental uh, function of the product or service, you know, does not exist extensively in a particular jurisdiction, but you're on the cutting edge of technology and, the, and you know, the country moves to that immediately as opposed to you having to sell against, uh, you know, integrate established uh, uh, utilities or technology or things like that. So, you know, on the outgoing way, that's another potential advantage. Yeah. And, you know, and listen, there's some interesting stuff that comes up with deals that I've seen, you know, let's say coming into America where foreign buyers are willing to pay more than domestic buyers for some things. And that could be because of currency exchange differences. It could be because they're looking to get money out of their countries because it's less stable there, you know, and at risk and they want to invest. I mean, there's, there's plenty of foreign money, for example, in U.S. real estate for that reason. And listen, there are, there are issues with that. I'm talking about, you know, legitimate business deals from, from, from places with the legitimate people, uh, you know, we can get into politics and, and the issues around some foreign investment uh, that is done by more unsavory character, you know, characters. But there are a lot of great companies out there from various parts of the world that are making legitimate investments in the U.S. And and you know, I guess the last thing I'll talk about is how, you know, I talked about the idea of you if you are doing deals in other places, getting local knowledge, local um, relationships. Uh, for that benefit. Well, it happens the other way as, as well. When companies come into the U.S., uh, they will often look for local partners uh, and local relationships for the, all the same reasons that we talked about, right? You know, access to relationships, um, knowledge of local customs, no, uh, local law, uh, and all that kind of stuff. So that's another potential opportunity. If you have any kind of relations or, or you know, um, you know, you hear of any foreign uh, folks trying to get into your industry, you know, 
one way to look at them is that they're a threat, they're a competitor, you know, et cetera. But another way to look at them is they're a potential partner, right? You can potentially pitch them and say, listen, you know, you need a local partner here. We really know this space, uh, you know, uh, as opposed to building it, why don't you buy us or let's do a joint venture or a strategic alliance. So let's be your exclusive distributor uh, or, you know, or marketer or, or, or channel partner, uh, you know, in the U.S. And there could be all kinds of opportunities there for you in the U.S. to do business with foreign companies that may even ones that you may initially look at as competitors. And I've done a whole separate uh, solo cast uh, many a while back, maybe a year or so ago, you know, on uh, on this concept, uh, or at least we've talked about it in part of one and part of some of the guest interviews on this concept of of actually, you know, doing business with your quote unquote competitors and, and how you can do deals with them and, and how you can make that to be an advantage. Certainly, you know, it, it can be true in this foreign space because the truth is somebody who's coming into the market who's new, is it really a potential competitor, right? They do similar to what you do in, in another country, um, but they're not yet a competitor if you can get, get them early and they could very easily become a collaborator or a partner or a or buyer or a you know, strategic uh, partner, joint venture partner, whatever it is. Um, so yeah, listen, like like a lot of what we do on this podcast, we, you know, just throw it out, give you the examples of different types of deals that people can do. This happens to be, uh, you know, various types of deals in, in different uh, geographies and different countries. Um, and we really want to just to open up, you know, start shift that uh, that mindset, start thinking like a deal maker, start looking for the opportunities. International deals are not for everyone. Uh, in fact, they're not for probably the majority of companies. But you know, there's enough of uh, you know of a minority of companies. There's a lot of companies out there, uh, many, many more than are doing international deals that could be doing international deals either on the outgoing side to other countries or becoming partners or uh, you know in some way uh, uh, with uh, foreign companies that are coming in. Many more opportunities uh, potentially that could be created than companies that are taking advantage of them, just like there are many, many companies that can be doing deals in general, but are, you know, spending too much time only looking at organic growth. So we want you to expand your mind to look at, you know, potential deals that you can go uh, do that will help you grow and benefit your business in general. And that certainly means probably mainly domestically for most companies, but listen, let's go a step further. And for some companies, the international uh, market could be a nice add-on, a nice addition. And for you know, a smaller percentage of companies, it could actually be bigger than what they're doing in the U.S. All right, folks, with that, I'm going to leave you for this week. I will be back with another solo cast in four weeks. And we got three amazing guest interviews coming up over the next uh, three weeks at the DealQuest podcast. So appreciate you, DealQuest community. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining me on this episode of DealQuest, where we help you understand how deal-driven growth can be your ticket to freedom. I want to invite you to a unique way to tap into the wisdom and experience of the DealQuest community. Join the DealQuest Deal Den Zoom calls, a free monthly 90-minute mastermind. In the mastermind, we address all the challenges you may be facing and help support you with the opportunities that may arise in terms of deal-driven growth. You will get input not only from me, but all the members on the call will collaborate and serve each other in a mastermind format. To sign up for the free mastermind, go to www.coreycupfer.com slash dealden. That's coreycupfer.com slash dealden. I'll see you there. I'm Corey Kupfer. Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest will bring.